You're listening to Recovery Survey, the podcast that shatters stigmas around different types of addictions and takes a deep dive into spiritual principles. I find a lot of wisdom that comes from your show. You interview different people and I know you just do an overall good job and you're a blessing to recovery in general. So I want to make that very clear for the record that I love the movement that you have, what you're doing, you're saving lives and you're educating and informing people. I think that's important. I want to thank my friends at Recovery Survey for giving me the opportunity to talk to them about my recovery journey. Thank you for having me on uh, the new podcast that you just developed, which is unbelievable, Recovery Survey Podcast. I really appreciate what you're doing and, and been doing and continue doing. My guest today is named Merritt Hartblay. He is a licensed chemical dependency counselor in New York, and he is also the author of a new book that just came out a couple weeks ago titled Lost Innocence, My Journey from Addiction to Recovery. Welcome to the show, Merritt. Hey, guys. My name is Merritt Hartblay. I live in uh, New York City on the North Shore of Long Island. I've been a uh, alcohol counselor and a social worker and a therapist for the past 12 years. I primarily work in a substance abuse outpatient facility here in Long Island, and I also do um, private therapy work with clients who are dealing with all kinds of issues, drug addiction, substance abuse, trauma, depression, anxiety, the works. I uh, love what I'm doing. Actually, i um, grateful to be on this interview. My first book actually just came out yesterday on Amazon. We can talk a bit more about that. I would love to hear more about your book. Yeah, so it took about five years to finish. The name of the book is called Lost Innocence, My Journey from Addiction to Recovery. You can find it on Amazon.com. It came up yesterday. Um, it's been a real process pulling it together, but it pretty much, I'll actually have 12 years of sobriety on the 24th of September. The book pretty much um, starts out from the day that I got sober and then backtracks my whole life up until that point. It's pretty much... Um, you know, a really detailed story. And, I, and the reason um, we wanted to release it at this time was, well, actually released yesterday because it was my birthday, which is kind of a cool birthday present. Beyond that, you know, because of what's happened with COVID, so many people now are struggling with substance abuse and mental health issues. So I thought the book was really timely because it really, it's, it talks about some dark stuff, but primarily it really talks about that there's hope, that there's hope for anybody struggling with drug addiction and, and uh, substance abuse, that if they really um, want to get sober they can do it and it doesn't matter how old you are how young you are but there's there's so many things you can do in life my, one of my favorite sayings which i mentioned in the book is um people that have sobriety how many people are given a chance to live two lives in one lifetime so i think it's pretty amazing absolutely man it's, it's definitely a gift i don't want to give away too much of the book since it sounds like it's about your life but would you mind maybe hitting a couple high points for us sure i mean um you know, I grew up in Jamaica, Queens, here in New York City. You know, my both of my parents were big drinkers, you know, so they're friends. They all had a circle of friends who drank a lot. So me and my younger sister pretty much, you know, we had to uh, kind of live through that. At a young age, you know, I really saw how my parents really used alcohol to kind of self-medicate. I think, you know, as I got and I swore that I would never drink. I swore that I would never drink because I saw what it did. But, you know, I think that um, I realize now when I look back when I was writing the book that 
people that have addiction and substance problems really wind up having addictive behavior long before you pick up a drink or a drug. So as I look back now, I realize that I started having addictive behaviors long before I started drinking and drugging. And, uh, you know, what's interesting is that I, I didn't have my first drink really until the end of my junior year in college. You know, a lot of people start out sooner. I went to school on a track scholarship. So I ran track and cross country for four years and I had an amazing mentor who is still my friend today. So I didn't start out until late. But when I got out of college and I came back to New York City, it was kind of like the way, the best way I can describe it is um, being comfortably numb for 30 years. I kind of wound up, you know, now as I look back now, I wound up living most of my life based on other people's expectations for me, you know, living my life the way other people wanted me to live it. And I think that, you know, working with a lot of my patients and clients now, it's the same story. You know, people kind of like the person that they wanted to be, they couldn't be. So they kind of put that person on the shelf to be the person everybody else wanted them to be, which is a horrible way to live. And so I pretty much drank and drugged for like 30 years, you know, and then uh, finally, you know, uh, I got to a point where uh, I kind of gave up. And by the grace of God, you know, I found my way into uh, to, to AA and to sobriety. So um, and then things really changed. You know, my son was um, captain of his high school football team and he came to me one day and he goes, Dad, you know, a bunch of the guys on the team aren't taking alcohol and drugs seriously. Can you come and talk to them? And I had coached Little League Baseball in our town for about, you know, 15 years. And I said, you know, Trevor, you know, a lot of these people are going to know what your dad went through. And he said, I don't care if we can help them. So I started going into the local high school after talking to the principal and the health teachers. I went to the high school once a week and started uh, talking to the students about alcohol and drugs in life. So that's when my whole career changed. You know, I walked away from corporate America. And I decided to go back to school. I wanted to become a drug counselor. And I did that. I went back to school, became a drug counselor, um, started interning, got my KSAC, uh, was then working at a few outpatient facilities in uh, Long Island. And then about two years into that, I said, you know, someday I'm going to want to do private practice and I have to do more. So it's funny, man. I went back to my, I went back to Binghamton University, my alma mater when I graduated as a, with my BA undergrad, you know, years ago went back to school to get my master's in social work. So I went back in 2013. It was a three and a half year program, two nights a week in school and uh, was working full time as a drug counselor during the day. And, you know, it's kind of taken me to where I am today. So I'm, I'm grateful for my sobriety. And I guess it was kind of something that came over me was that I knew there was a bigger purpose for me to be able to really go out and really help other people find peace of mind. And that's kind of what led me to starting to write the book almost five years ago. That's beautiful, man. I think for me too, that's one of the things that I've found is, you know, since I put down the drugs and alcohol, I feel like I now have a purpose in life and that there is more to life than just trying to escape from those feelings and, and try to people please and actually start to get to know myself on, on a personal level. You know, I feel like I didn't know who I was. Um, and I was just lost and confused and right. You know, I feel like today I've found hope and now, you know, one of my biggest things in life is trying to help those people that are still struggling and, and be able to not only tell them that there's another way to live, but show them by example that it's possible and that you can have a meaningful life. Because one of the things that that I had in my mind when I first considered not using was, man, my life's going to be boring. What am I going to do? Right. Um, you know because I'd never done that before and I didn't realize that there was so much potential and that there were so many things that, that I would find uh, and discover about myself and, you know, new passions and hobbies. Right. Yeah, it's true. 
you know, and the other thing is that, you know, I made a couple of moves in my life. I thought, well, if I move away, I moved from New York to Houston, Texas. I had a, a big opportunity to work there and I moved away, but I didn't realize that wherever you go, you take yourself with you. Right. So I thought if I moved away, everything would be better. Everything would be different, but it wasn't. It just became the same old thing again. But just like you, I think that, you know, what I learned is that when I was drinking and drugging, I was a very selfish person. You know, I would really walk over anybody to get what I needed to get from me. But when I got sober and I started working on my sobriety, I realized that the greatest gift for me was to help you, right? Was to do something for somebody else, to become like selfless, where the greatest gift is doing something for somebody and nobody knows you did it, right? When I did stuff in the past, I wanted everybody to know that I did it. I wanted like my name up in Times Square. Now it's like, I don't really need anybody to know. I get enough self-fulfillment from just helping somebody, period, you know? That's one of the things that I've found, at least for me personally, the one of the best ways that I can get out of that self-centered and self-seeking mindset is to be of service to other people and to do things for other people. That's been one of the biggest keys not only helps my recovery because I'm getting out of myself, but it's also helping other people. And I think that's, I think that's a huge key to this whole thing. It really is. I mean, I think, you know, a lot of my clients now uh, in my outpatient, I do an intensive outpatient program three days a week. And a lot of them talk about the fact that they're grateful for their sobriety, especially now during this whole pandemic situation, because I have found that people that really can hold on to their sobriety, realize they can get through anything. You know, they can get through good times without having to have them be better times. They can get through bad times without having to be worse times. One of my uh, statements that I put out to my group, I think it was about a week ago, is that my definition of, you know, if you can find gratitude in the middle of any kind of a storm, that's sobriety. So it's, it's really passing on the message. And, um, so that's what kind of led me to this place in my life now. And uh, I'm finding that there's so many more things, you know, it's like so many people that I know, like they reach a certain point in their life where they figure that, well, this is the best that it's going to get. And they kind of accept that. I don't come from that school now, you know, living a life of sobriety. It's like, for me, there's so many things that I can do. You know, when people say to me, you're going back to grad school at 54. It's like, so what? What does that mean? You know, it like, doesn't matter. There's no age limit. You can do whatever you want. The only person that can get the only thing that can get in the way of you accomplishing anything in your life is you, right? That was for me was in the past. I got my I couldn't get out of my own way. That was the biggest problem. But now, you know, if we talk about sobriety and talking about, you know, God, whatever you believe in, whatever higher power you believe in that kind of guides you, when you kind of surrender and kind of give up and say, you know what, I'm done running the show, life gets so much better. When I'm sure you would agree. That was one of the things that I struggled with a lot in the beginning was recognizing my powerlessness and recognizing my need for a higher power and then turning my will and my life over and, and not running the show anymore. Cause I had done it for so long. You know, I was, I was my own God right? <laughs> and pretty, pretty <laughs> terrible at it, <laughs> but I didn't want to give up that control, you know? And I think a lot of that stems from fear because I didn't know what was going to happen if I did something different. Right. Right. Yeah, it's uh, it's true. So um, I think it's great what you're doing. You know, since I finished the book, I have an amazing publisher and uh, she helped me with a lot of the marketing. So, you know, I did a ton of marketing on um, Instagram and Twitter. And, you know, I found people like yourself and other people doing podcasts. And I realized there's a whole world out there of people like you, people like me 
that really are trying to spread this message. But it's not, you know, people need to understand that it's not about religion, you know, because people say, oh, my God, you're an AA. It must be some kind of cult or something. You know, it's not about that. It's about spirituality. You know, but I go into middle schools and high schools and colleges and I do a lot of lecturing and I talk about, you know, having to find peace of mind, how to get rid of stress and anxiety. You know, I find that I incorporate a lot of the 12 step work just into life because I tell people, I think that it should not be called AA. It should be called People's Anonymous because if, wouldn't you agree that if everybody in the world had a place to go once a week to dump their problems, the world would be a better place, right? People in sobriety get a chance to do that as many times a day that they want or during a week that they want. So I incorporate a lot of my 12-step work into when I'm working with students and professionals because it's all about living a good life. It's all about taking a deep breath and realizing for the first time that you've been living a lie. People have been living a lie for 20, 30 years. You know, they, they were living their life, like I said earlier, the way they wanted people to live their lives. But you would agree, I'm sure, right, that living your life based on other people's expectations for you is only going to lead to disaster. Absolutely. So that's really what came about to the book. And I'm actually starting to work on a second book, which will probably be in about six months time. I am I, I really got into the field of mental illness because I think there's a big stigma in this country about mental illness. And you'll find that most people that struggle with substance abuse also have a mental health issue. I spent about a year and a half. I worked with an agency here in New York that strictly dealt with severely mentally ill patients. And I learned an awful lot. This next book is all going to be about, you know, the people, really the people behind the diagnosis. Because, you know, I've met a lot of people who, let's say when they were 13 or 14 years old, they were struggling with life. The parents didn't know what to do. They take them to a psychiatrist. They get diagnosed with, I don't know, ADHD, uh, anxiety, bipolar, something, and they get put on medications. And then there people that that happened to them at 13, and now they're 30, and they've been on medications for 20 years, and they're like numb. They don't, you know. So there's more than just being diagnosed. So I've learned an awful lot about that, and I think that the country's getting better now. But for a long time, there's been a huge stigma about mental illness. And I think that stigma is slowly going away, but there's definitely still a stigma around talking about mental health. Yeah. I think for me, too, this is just my personal belief, but I think it, it's harder for men to talk about it because we're supposed to be, you know, like the strong, yeah. uh, like the pillar foundation of, you know, our families yeah. or at work or whatever. And I think it's a lot harder for men to admit that they're having issues and, and go and talk to a professional, man. Like it's, right. it's difficult to get to that point and to actually do something about it. I know, but I think that, I think it's slowly starting to change because, you know, a lot of my patients or clients, especially men, I think they're reaching a point where they're just like broken down. They realize that they've been living a life for so long and it's like, oh my God, what the hell's going on? So I think it's slowly starting to change. It's just a matter of, in the case of, let's say men, they need to be in groups with other men so they can see that they're not unique, that they're not alone, that there's support out there, you know, and then people can finally throw up their hands. I think this pandemic thing has really, you know, what I've seen is, you know, before this happened, one of my biggest issues was that I do a lot of family work. And I realized that the family unit had pretty much broken down. Families just didn't communicate with each other more. I mean, I was out to dinner one night in a restaurant by myself and I was watching a family of four at this table. Mother, father, two young kids. Nobody was talking to each other. They're all on their cell phones or their tablets or their game pads. And I'm thinking, I wanted to go up to this family and say, excuse me, like, why are you even in this restaurant? You might as well just be home ordering out takeout. So I think the pandemic has caused a lot of families to have to learn to communicate with each other better. 
you know, to spend more family time with each other. You know, I have my clients every day do a gratitude list because I think if you take some time each day to think about the things you're grateful for, you'll think about all the things you took for granted, right? I think things are changing. I mean, just like you, I think that we have to keep fighting this fight every day and let people know that there's a voice for them. There's a, there's a place, there's an arena where they can go to feel safe and talk. You know, the other big issue that I have is, you know, with, and I'm not judging, but one of my biggest issues is with doctors, because a lot of doctors that have been in practice for a long time aren't well-trained in addiction medicine. So if you're an alcoholic and you don't tell anybody about it, and then you go to your doctor because you're stressed down and he puts you on Xanax or something, he doesn't realize that you're drinking two bottles a day. I mean, that's dangerous stuff. And then you have primary care doctors prescribing all kinds of psychotropic medications, which is really a problem. So again, I don't want to judge, but there are a lot of doctors that I know out there that have the biggest drug dealers around. You know, doctors don't make their money from dead patients or well patients. Doctors make their money from chronically ill patients. So in a lot of ways, they keep them coming back, you know? So I always tell my clients and patients, you know, you have to be in control of your treatment, not the doctor. If you don't feel comfortable, if you don't think that the medication's right, get a second opinion. Seek out another professional. If society had its had its way, we'd all be comfortably numb. All of society would be comfortably numb. You brought up several several points there. One of the, one of the ones that I think was really key that you touched on was talking about just our addiction to entertainment and technology. I can see both sides. Like I can see benefits of it. Like, especially right now with the pandemic, like my home group is online right now because the facility that we rent is closed. So I think there's some good things from it, you know, being able to stay in contact with other people in the program and check on them and be able to see them face to face. Well, not face to face, but webcam to webcam. But I, I also see that negative that you're talking about where everybody's just glued to their device and we don't have those real connections. I was having a conversation with my wife the other night and I was like, we get home from work and we're tired and we sit in front of the TV and it was like, what if one night a week we just don't turn the TV on? Like, you know, we play a board game or we do something where we're interacting with each other because, you know, we're together, but we're not interacting. You know, we're just in the same space. And I think right. that that's an important part of any relationship is that intimacy and that communication. And, and a lot of that is, is not happening just because we're so focused on our screen, on our social media, on whatever, yeah, whatever's going on, on the news, that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, you're familiar with the term codependency. You know, there's a really good book called codependent no more. And I, and I find that a lot of couples that I work with, they're just beginning. They never really what codependency was, you know, they get so caught up in themselves that they wind up meeting, they wind up getting married. Now it's 20 years later and they look at each other like, who is this person? A lot of the work that I do with my clients is on developing healthier communications. I tell all of my clients that are married or in relationships at the end of the day, try to take 10 or 15 minutes, sit down and just talk, just talk about how your day went. And I said, but you have to also realize there's a big difference between hearing and listening. A lot of times people are listening, but are they really hearing what you're saying? They just want you to shut up so they can talk. You know, so a lot of the work that I do really is on healthy communications because most of the relationship work that I do, most of the relationships aren't really healthy relationships. It's really based on a lot of codependency. People have settled for less, you know, they've kind of given up and that's no way, you know, the excitement, you know, the honeymoon period is over and now it's kind of like they just fall into this rut, you know, but that's, 
you're like sacrificing so much, right? You don't want, you don't want that to happen. So I think it's great that, you know, you said that to your wife. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of negatives as far as the pandemic. I've heard that, you know, the suicide rates have gone up and depression yeah. and anxiety. Yeah. And I mean, it makes sense if you're stuck in your house and you don't have a job and, you know, there's all these things that are just piling on top of each other. It can be a really difficult situation for anybody. Exactly. It's true. I try to get a lot of my clients to do da- to develop good daily routines, you know, to make sure they dedicate, you know, get up in the morning, dedicate some time to meditation or music or something, you know, go on the computer, do some, some work, whatever it is, go out and exercise. You have to find a way to, to build this daily routine because if you don't, you could, like you said, you get stuck in this rut. And, uh, you know, actually I've, I've done a couple of good things though. I, it's students, you know, I, I do a lot of work with college students. I'm up in Binghamton, like twice a semester lecturing. And I, right now, when this whole pandemic thing hit, I started a, I do a weekly zoom session with about four students that are a couple of graduate students, a couple of undergrad students. And we just talk about life. You know, we just talk about the stressors and the pressures of life and how to kind of not, you know, one of the things I tell my patients all every day is don't watch the news. Don't watch the news because, you know, People get caught up in chaos. If, if you watch something bad that happens on the news in the morning, and if you don't get away from that, it's going to sit with you for the whole day. You know, I say, don't do that, you know, because it, it can get crazy. So I try to have them focus on other things, you know, go take walks, do something. Take the cobwebs off that bicycle in the garage and start riding it, you know, do some good stuff. <laughs> you know, I think what's really important is uh, a lot of people that I work with, they wind up doing, they wind up working in certain careers that they never really wanted to be doing in the first place. And they did it because I had a guy who was a cop and he became a policeman because his father was a policeman and his grandfather was a policeman, you know? So he wound up, you know, even though he wanted to be a lawyer, he wound up going to become a cop. And I had a woman in my group who always wanted to be a nurse, but when she graduated from high school, her father goes, you're not going to be a nurse. You're going to be a mom and a mother and a, and a wife. I think the, the biggest thing that I try to impress on people is no matter where you are in your life right now, Take a deep breath and ask yourself, are you living the life that you want to live? I asked them the miracle question. If you woke up tomorrow morning and you got up and you took a shower and you had breakfast and everything in your world looked perfect the way you wanted it to be and you were going to that perfect job, what would it look like? There was a, a great lady that I did a lot of work with. She passed away a couple years ago, Louise Hay. She was amazing. And one of the books she wrote was You Can Heal Your Life. It's all about if you change the way you think, you can change your life. So I've I've had people say, you know, ask yourself this question. When you go to work in the morning, are you miserable? When you can you wait, can't you can't stand it? You can't wait to get home. Are you doing are you doing something in your life that you hate doing, but you're doing it because that's what you're supposed to be doing? One of the questions I that I would ask people every day is to really take a deep breath and ask yourself, when you get up in the morning, are you happy? If you couldn't fall asleep at night because you're wrestling with stuff in your head that you're not really looking forward to the next day. And you really got to ask yourself some serious questions like, why are you doing that? You know, one of the things we learn in sobriety is that you never, ever again have to put yourself in an uncomfortable situation. If you have faith in yourself and faith in the higher power, whatever you believe in that can get you through this, why would you want to go to a job every day that you don't like? Why would you do things during the course of your day that you don't like? You know who Carlos Santana is? A couple of years ago, I went to a concert here in Long Island and he played and and he's been he's been in recovery for a while now. And he said at the end of the concert, happiness is a choice, not a right. So think about it. 
you know, people say, oh, happiness, want to be happy. That's like ridiculous. So no, why should that be so ridiculous? You need to get up each day and say, I'm going to be happy today. And if something gets in that way, in your way, you have to stop and ask yourself, what's going on right now? Because the goal of life should be to be happy, not to be miserable and to go through running through the mill every day because that's what is expected of you. So that if I could leave you with anything and the audience with anything, it would be try to take the word expectations out of your life. Because if you have an expectation for something to happen and it doesn't, what happens? You get a resentment. You get angry. I mean, my definition of uh, resentment is me taking poison, waiting for you to die. Like you could, you could have said something to me a year ago that that pissed me off, and you moved away, and I haven't seen you in two, three years. But I'm still pissed off about that. That's crazy, right? Think about how many people carry resentments with them for a lifetime. You know, that's why I say, you know, people that aren't familiar or aren't familiar with with AA or the twelve steps is that I have, like, I teach. Um, I teach in a school here in New York for people that to become drug counselors. And whether they're in recovery or not, I have them all do a fourth step. I say, if you want to be a good counselor, if you want to be a good psychologist or a therapist or a social worker, and you want to go out into the world and help people, you can't help your patients if you're still stuck in the mud with something. Like I said to this woman, if you want to work with women that have been sexually abused and that have sexual trauma, how can you work with them if you haven't resolved sexual trauma you exhibited when you were a kid, right? So I think that the biggest part of this is like, you know, clearing your life out, having no expectations. If you don't have an expectation, then you don't have any resentments, right? Then you don't get angry. If something doesn't happen, okay, well, it'll happen another time. So that's really another, if I could leave you with something, I think that's the biggest thing. You know, my goal is to help people find peace of mind. And right now, so many people are self-medicating. You know, the only reason that, they kept liquor stores open and they were deemed as essentials because, you know, you can die from alcohol withdrawal. So they'd rather have people drink during the pandemic because there weren't enough detoxes open. But now that people are getting back to somewhat normalcy, a lot of people are realizing, oh my God, I've been drinking to numb this whole thing, but now I got to go back to work, but I can't stop drinking. You know, it's a problem. In closing, would you like to tell the audience if you have a website or social media or anything and maybe remind them again the name of the book and where they can find that? Yeah, we're, we're actually in the process of setting up a website. But right now, you know, uh, my first name is Merritt, M-E-R-R-I-T. And the last name is Hartblay, H-A-R-T, B as in boy, L-A-Y. The name of the book is Lost Innocence, My Journey from Addiction to Recovery. I'm so excited about it because I think it carries a really good message that there is hope. It's now up on Amazon.com. So you go to Amazon.com uh, through books, and then you can just search my name. And I'm posting every day on uh, Instagram and Twitter. And if anybody wants to friend me on Facebook, feel free to do that. So I'm, I keep putting stuff out there each day, and uh, I'm hoping to do more stuff. We're going to be doing an audio book next, which I'm really excited about. And I'm going to be narrating it because I think it's not good when you have somebody else narrate your book. And uh, just trying to push more stuff. I'm actually hoping to, at some point in time, be able to put my own podcast together. People can reach me through Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, and also on LinkedIn. And uh, I really thank you so much for giving me some time to chat with you today. I appreciate you taking time out of your day and telling us about the book and the work that you're doing. And give us that message about trying to live a positive life and be happy and not to set expectations on ourselves and on other people. Because that's just setting ourselves up for future resentments, man. I, I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you.
Merritt, thank you so much for being on the show and sharing your experience, strength, and hope with us. If you'd like to get in contact with Merritt, all of his information will be in the show notes. Thanks again. You've been listening to Recovery Survey. If you got anything out of today's episode, I'd ask you to please leave us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can find us at recoverysurvey.com. You can listen to all of our episodes on the website as well as connect with us on social media where you can get previews for upcoming episodes. Hey guys, I wanted to let you know about an exciting new partnership with Broken Chains Apparel. They're a custom online shirt retailer that designs cool shirts for people in recovery. They want you to be proud of your recovery and wear it boldly. They're offering our listeners a 20% discount. All you have to do is use the promo code recovery at checkout. Go grab your shirts today at brokenchainsapparel.com and follow them on Facebook and Instagram at brokenchainsapparel.com.